Pastor Bobby, as you can see, is not with us this morning. He is in uh, Turning Point Church this morning ministering, so you can continue to, to remember him throughout our service. Uh, it's a church that uh, he has responsibility over through Vanguard, and so he's there um, as he goes once, once a year or every other year to minister. Uh, but we are blessed this morning to have Pastor Brad Abley. Pastor Brad is a gifted teacher. He's a gifted pastor, and he's an evangelist at heart. But probably more than all that, what I appreciate of Brad, he's just a friend of God. He's just a friend of God. So, Brad, would you come and share the word with us this morning? I have, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. I have a, a word for you, Gabby, and, um, but it's a representative word for the whole church, and it comes from John 6, the great chapter on Jesus' teaching on him being the bread of life, and he said some very challenging things to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, and of course, he wasn't speaking literally and the result in John 6, verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Now, do you know that's happening all over the world? There are people who name the name of Jesus who get offended, who number of different things happen, and they stop walking with the Lord. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Just happened to glance over and saw you worshiping Gabby and it blessed my heart, but at the same time I felt... And it's this way for all of us. To the extent that we love the Lord, the devil just hates it. He hates you. And so he'll lay minefields along your path and he'll use people to try to get you to take offense and then blame the Lord. Don't do it. You can't control what other people do, but you can have the heart of Peter. You alone, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Where else should I, where else can I go? I have a few minutes. I, I love when I get a chance to minister before I preach. Preaching is ministry as well. And um, I just want to say to you, David said uh, in Psalm chapter 16, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. That's because David carried the heart of God for God's people. He loved the people of God. And I just want to express the love of God the Father for you this morning, beloved, and remind you of who you are. You are his priests brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light to minister to him in every way, female and male. You are priests to God. You see that in the book of Revelation several times. You are his ambassadors. There's a reason why I refer to you as beloved because you see that throughout the New Testament. You are God's beloved he sets his affection on you. He sets his attention on you. His eye is upon you. His delight is in you. He rejoices over you. He sings over you. He forgives you. He gives you his mercy. He gives you his grace. He gives you his love. He gives you his word. He answers prayer. He builds you up. He encourages you. He has given you eternal life. Jesus is preparing a place for you right now. You are known in heaven. You are known on earth and you are known in hell. 
Because you are a child of God and you carry His authority. When you speak in the name of Jesus, demons have to bow. That's who you are. Don't forget who you are. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are a co-laborer with Christ. You are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You are a living epistle known and read by all men. You carry his name. You carry his grace. The glory of God is upon you. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, let me just say something to you with authority. I take authority over every lying spirit that says to you, you're not forgiven and tries to beat you down with shame. God has made provision for you and for me. It's called forgiveness when we repent. And the Bible is very clear. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If Peter could say, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times, and Jesus says, no, up to 70 times seven, then how much more will he forgive us when we ask? Isaiah 43, verse 25 says this. From, uh, he says, um, the memory verse that I'm a little rusty on, I just quoted it last service and uh, just need a little bit of... A little bit of peak, just a little peak. I, even I, have wiped out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You quote that to him. You quote that to the devil. You quote that to yourself. Stand firm. Stand tall in who you are. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Amen. All right. The passage that we're about to look into, I feel a holy reverence because we're talking about four of the essentials of our faith. This is serious stuff. We're going to talk about the incarnation of Jesus. We're talking about the virgin birth. We're going to be talking about his twofold nature in one person. And we're going to be talking about the inspiration and the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. Those are weighty things that we've got to look at carefully. So I just want to pause with reverence before the Lord and especially before we read, uh, we're going to do a corporate reading together of that holy, sacred passage. So if you'd stand with me, I'd like to open up in prayer. And then we will, um, if you'll do the best you can to stay with my cadence uh, as, as we go through Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23, and then John 1, verse 29. Let me pray first. Father, Lord Jesus, would you remove veils today? Would you open eyes to your glory? We saw it in worship. And now we have to see it in your word. Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and stir us to hunger and thirst for you and for your word. And may the result be that we produce, that you produce through us great and extraordinary present and eternal fruit for the glory of the Father and of the Son, for the advancement of the gospel, for the edification of your church and the evangelization of the lost. And we ask these things in your holy name. You, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only God, our Savior, in Jesus' name. The title of today's message is Behold, He is God. God the Son, God the Incarnate Son. 
And here we go to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Ready? Reading. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when, sorry, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And then John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Amen. Beloved, the incarnation and the virgin birth of Jesus is not meant to be a sentimental Christmas card, as much as I appreciate those. On the contrary, he was born to take the wrath of God do you and do me for our offensive sin upon himself and to turn that wrath of God against us, we who are enemies of God and children of wrath, into the favor of God for us, taking us from children of wrath and sons of the devil into being sons and daughters of God our Father, and he did it all to redeem sinful humanity. I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 1 and verses 20 through 23 and go through them again. And I want to reveal to you and open up the Word of God to you to see four of the major essentials of the Christian faith and to do my best to convey to you what it means to us. Uh, Raleigh, if you'd go back a few slides to uh, verse 20 for me, because if I do it with this, I'll freeze it up. Thank you, sir. So here we go, verse 20. But when he had considered this, now watch this word, behold, behold. That word means a number of different things. The Hebrew word primarily used in the Old Testament is hineni. It means to press in to pay close attention for what's coming next. I would apply it as stand in awe, get ready, because something's coming that's very important. And sure enough, there it is. You know, the word behold uh, appears in the Old Testament about 1,100 times. That tells me that God thinks that word is important and that we should see it as it is, as it's intended to be, a red flag word to cause us to pay close attention because what's coming next is very important. And sure enough, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, that Joseph is being reminded by the angel, you are in the messianic line, lineage. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You can imagine the terror that Mary was showing, what he would have to go through. And God didn't make it easy for Joseph, did he? Keep that in mind. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. She will bear a son. 
and you shall call his name Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua. Salvation, victory, deliverance. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. What Matthew has just described to us is the incarnation of the God the Son. God the Son incarnate. The word incarnation is a Latin word that was used in the 3rd, 4th century by Latin theologians or theologians that spoke Latin. And it simply refers to that process whereby God the Son from all eternity doesn't cease to be God, but takes upon himself humanity as well because he has to shed his sinless blood on the cross for us. That is an essential of our faith. And then the second essential is, and I'll have a slide for that in just a moment, the second essential we find in verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill. The Gospel of Matthew is written to Jewish believers and also to Jews who didn't believe in, in Jesus as the Messiah. And so what he does throughout his Gospel is he uses the word fulfill because that would establish credibility as he points out that every verse in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in Jesus, he is saying, look, the Old Testament prophesied it and here it is. That was never fulfilled in anybody else and it hasn't been fulfilled today and it never will be fulfilled except in Jesus. Beloved, that's why we need the Old Testament. We need it. The Old Testament is just as much the word of God as the New Testament. But then there's more. Now, all this took place to fulfill, now watch this, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Who is the prophet that he's quoting here? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, what we see here is the inspiration of Scripture. We have God speaking through the prophet. The amazing thing about the Christian faith is that God used 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years on three different continents using three languages, just a little bit of Aramaic and mostly Hebrew and Greek, and not one contradiction, not one error. You give me 40 PhDs in economics from Stanford University, and I guarantee you they're going to contradict one another. One is going to be a Keynesian, and another one is going to be uh, so supply side economics after George, well, not George Gilder, but Arthur Laffer. Uh, getting in economics. Let me just pull right back here. And they're going to disagree with one another on economic theory. But you have 40 different writers speaking about the creation, about the resurrection, about the incarnation, about forgiveness, about the cross, about eternal life, about how to walk with God, how to know God, and not one contradiction. God doesn't bypass their personality, doesn't bypass their culture. And yet Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture. Pasagrafe, every word is inspired by God. Theopneustos, God breathed. Sovereignly superintends every word, every circumstance to give us an inerrant, infallible product. Because he loves you and me enough to, to give us a faith that is rock solid. And when he reveals something about himself to us, we can take it and not question it. When he tells us that Jesus is coming back for us, he's coming back. When he tells us that he is preparing a place for us right now, he's preparing a place for us. When he tells us that sin is forgiven, it's forgiven. When he tells us that he loves us, he loves us. When he tells us that he is good, don't question it, he is good. And he will define that for you. He will reveal it to you all throughout your life life the inspiration of scripture and then the virgin birth behold let it take your breath away never been done before never again will be done but God is God he can do whatever he wants to do I'm telling you God have mercy on every theologian who brings into question the virgin birth, undermines it, 
that I'm this close to naming names. <laughs> you got to watch who you listen to and watch what they say. There's a name out there, the popular preacher named Andy Stanley. says, you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. Why? Because you don't believe in the virgin birth? You want people to come alongside you? If you don't believe in the virgin birth, how are you going to believe in the resurrection? If you don't believe in the virgin birth, how are you going to believe in creation? How are you going to believe that Jesus raised the dead and, and cast out demons and opened the eyes of the blind? You can't pick and choose what you're going to believe just to impress your friends and be accepted by a certain crowd. I didn't think I was going to get into that. But I care for the faith. I care for the church. I care for sound doctrine. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son a baby right here. But they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. There it is. The virgin birth and the incarnation of Jesus and his twofold nature. Fully man, fully God, perfectly united in one person, not mixed. The virgin birth is absolutely essential because God cannot be joined with sinful flesh without redemption. I mean, without, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Without a sacrifice, without an innocent sacrifice. Now, you say, well, that, that gave Jesus a pass because he was born without a sin nature. Oh, no. You're born without a sin nature and you're tempted. The temptation is far more serious than those of us who are tempted with the sin nature and it's much easier to give into. What he accomplished for us as we were singing today is jaw-dropping. And so, the four essentials of the Christian faith, the incarnation, the inspiration of Scripture, its inerrancy, fully God, fully man, in one person, and the virgin birth. I started to use a phrase um, a few decades ago to try to describe in theological terms what, what is the incarnation. The incar in the incarnation, there's no subtraction of deity, only an addition of humanity. So in the incarnation, Jesus didn't set aside his divinity. Don't misread Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. The word empty means to lay aside one's privileges. It doesn't mean to empty himself of deity. Let me give you an illustration if I can. I do the best I can. Now, let me just preface it by saying that any human illustration, when you're trying to talk about the incarnation, is going to fall short. So I'm going to do the best I can. But I was laboring, Lord, I need a good illustration. And I felt like he reminded me of an, of an event that was an amazing event. It happened... Um, right, so one of the three, I'd say, greatest times of ministry that I've ever had was in my last trip to Uganda, ministry trip in Uganda, right as COVID was hitting in, in February of 2020. And I just, to save time, it was a time of glory. It was just everywhere you turned, the glory of God was evident in lives being changed and, and all that. So so if you will, by the end of that 10 days of ministry, I was depleted of, of adrenaline. I'm exhausted. Now i got to fly 24 hours back to the U.S., which made me even more tired. But I'm setting, explaining this to, to help you to understand what had happened. So I didn't leave the glory in Uganda. I'm living in that glory, if you will, but I'm coming down into what I didn't know was going to be a time of lowly service that was going to rescue a terrified young woman at the Norfolk airport and bring redemption to her and bring security to her and help in a time of great need. I, I get my bags and my wonderful wife Maureen is right there at baggage claim 
There's more of a story to it than that, but I, I look at the clock, I might not have time to get it all in. So I get outside with my bags. We, you know, I'm just looking forward to seeing her. And I put the bags in and out of nowhere. Here's this, she's 4'11", maybe 5 feet, petite. She's got this big old huge duffel bag that must have outweighed her. And it turns out she had flown up from Florida for a naval uh, orientation. And that was done. She's flying back to Jacksonville, Florida. First time, either first time in an airport on a plane or first time without her mom and dad. And she made an innocent mistake. I, I would have done the same thing. She, her, somehow her return flight was to fly out of uh, Richmond, not out of Norfolk. So she gets there, shows up, and the lady at the ticket says, I'm sorry, you can't fly out of Norfolk. Well, why not? Because the ticket says Jacksonville, and she's incredulous at this point, and the lady's trying to explain to her, and so she's asking for help. That Man, there's nothing I can do. So she goes around to others. She doesn't know anybody in Norfolk. She doesn't have any money to stay in a hotel. It's 10 o'clock at night. She's a 17-year-old girl who's never been, been away from home by herself. So she's telling us all this. And we have not been able to have children, but there's a dad in me. And when she said that, talked about staying the night in the airport, I said, no, 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 you're not staying in the airport. I'll take you to Richmond. We'll take you to Richmond. And now, remember now, I am depleted, exhausted. But I see an opportunity to minister. But I'm exhausted. And then the male pride steps up and says, well, because Maureen say, let me drive, let me drive, let me drive. You're too tired to drive. Let me drive, let me drive. And I'm saying, no way, because if I sit in that passenger seat, I'm out. And then goes all that time and not a chance to minister, no way. So somehow I made it. The way home, I was out. Maureen drove. So we're talking about this, that, and the other. Now, mind you, I'm going from from a time of great glory, she can't see that. All she can see is service. And that's all that matters to her, and understandably so. Jesus went from great glory to humble service to redeem us from sin, to rescue us from an eternity in hell. We are driving on the way, and... This is part of redemption as well, and, it, and it, it goes deeply into me because this is where my heart is at. And I think God just blessed me with it. She's sitting in the back, and she's texting her mom and dad and said this, Mom and Dad, you wouldn't believe it. A, an older white couple <laughs> is taking us to Richmond. And not only that, he's a pastor. So I guess by that she meant, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm in safe hands. Now, you notice I didn't say anything about race before that because it, ma- it doesn't matter. But the fact that she brought it up to me brought tears in my eyes. I didn't want to let her see that I was driving. But it's like, Lord, there's more redemption. See, Jesus came to redeem it all. He's not going to let sin have the last word. He's a reconciler. That's what he's about. And we should be reconcilers as well. Well, in the incarnation and the virgin birth, beloved, God declares that sin will not have the last word. That's his plan. He will have the last word over sin. And speaking of sin... I have a conviction that there's no way we can fully understand what we sang about. We can no, we not fully understand the depth of the incarnation without understanding God's view of the offense of sin. And so I want to give you a refresher on just what sin has done to the human race, though it's evident before us every day. Here is what man created in God's image and according to his likeness in the moral sense, has devolved into hidden motives in his dealings with others, self-deception, 
deceiving others, lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping. Sophistry, a word that simply means using clever or deceptive reasoning or argumentation to get what you want. Selfishness, hatred in the heart of people and of God. Revenge, swearing, filthy language, threats, manipulation, pride. Covering of sin from others. Failure to do what is right always. Always. No exceptions. Favoritism, belittling and mocking of others. Self-righteousness. Failure to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. The tempting of others to sin with virtually every sin in this list. False accusations, slander, anger, impatience, coveting of people, reputation, things, and wealth. Murder, abortion, rape, kidnapping, enslaving of others still to this day. Sex trafficking of, of girls and boys. Created in God's image and likeness. Doing this kind of filth. Sexual abuse, sexual immorality of every kind, perversion of every kind, refusal to thank God, foolish behavior, foolish joking, jealousy, impurity, strife, bitterness, blasphemy, complaining, and rebellion. Disobedience to parents, division, witchcraft, and devotion to and worship of Satan, drunkenness, gluttony, unrighteous judging, living for pleasure, lovers of self rather than lovers of of God, persecution of believers and killing them in ever-increasing numbers, heresy abounding, false teaching abounding, including evolution. I get one amen out of that one. But I'm serious because the Bible is clear and not just in Genesis, in the Psalms, elsewhere in the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, God created everything that exists. God is providential over every circumstance. God has designed everything with order. And so if you say just the opposite, you make God a liar. It's cut and dried. You can't have it. There's no half step in here. It's one or the other. Sitting in judgment of God, when in fact God sits in judgment of man. Teachers, grade school, kindergarten, junior high, high school teachers, professors, TV and film actors, producers, directors, authors, musicians, and media, all seeking to turn people away from the faith. Your generation is filled with that. And yet, Jesus will forgive it all for those who repent. All because of his incarnation and his virgin birth and crucifixion. My friends, without the incarnation and the virgin birth, there is no substitutionary, all-sufficient, atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's no future. There's no hope. There's no redemption. And the witness of Scripture... What I love is that we're not just saved from our sins, from his incarnation and virgin birth and crucifixion. We are redeemed. There's the negative side. There's the positive. We are redeemed to his righteousness. We are reconciled to him eternally. We are resurrected with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. But then our bodies are going to be raised, spiritual bodies no longer capable of sin, death, disease, sickness, hardship, any of those things. This is where we're heading. Be hopeful, beloved, in the midst of a, a world that's going to pieces in these last days. These are God's promises for you. Restored to him eternally. Reigning with him presently and eternally. I remember saying in the first service, I'll say it again. Your first split second in heaven. The, the minute you lay eyes on the triune God. 
His love is going to go through you and come out of your pores. The purest love that you can imagine, infinite love that will bring you such joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. But the Holy Spirit will give us that insight now as we peek into his word, as we delve. The righteousness, his goodness, you'll you'll rule the day that you questioned his goodness. I will rule the day that I question. I'm not going to assume that you questioned his goodness, but I have. Much to my chagrin, his purity and holiness is so beautiful, so attractive, so alluring. We can't see that now because we're so used to sin and we're so used to a fallen world. That's not how it was supposed to be. Sin is not going to have the last word. God is going to have the last word. He is going to restore every hope, every dream, everything that you wanted to see that didn't happen. It will all be restored. Our God is a redeemer. Our God is a restorer. This is where where history is head, beloved, and you're right in the center of it, right in the middle of it. You're the apple of his eye. You're his child. You're his saint. You're his righteous one. Hallelujah. Now, the devil understands the stakes of the essentials of our faith, too. So he hits it hard. I'm going to mention that in just a moment. But because of that statement, it burdens me unceasingly that too many in the church don't know their faith. What does that say to God who gave us 66 books? If if these weren't important to him, he would just give us one book, a few verses. I think of Jude the apostle who appealed to his readers, beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing. The Greek word means he's, that, that appeal is still going. Yes. Yes. That you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down To the saints, the Greek word is where we get our word agonize over. It means to exert effort. It means to invest everything that you've got. And is he not worth it? Does he not deserve every ounce of effort we can give to him? Of course, by his grace. He is worthy of it all. That's what we're saying. Well, let's match. When we sing, then let our actions So we're not just singing empty words. I think it's impossible to say that we love God and yet not make every effort to know our faith and to gratefully live under the authority of his word. You have exalted above all else your name and your word. Psalm 138 verse 2. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The essentials that are viciously attacked happen in Jesus' lifetime. They question the legitimacy of his birth, basically. I'm not going to use the word, but you know what I'm talking about. Then the devil inspired Herod to try to Killed Jesus by slaughtering the firstborn in Bethlehem. Talking about his incarnation. And then, because of the salvation that is sufficient in him alone, the Judaizers in the book of Acts demanded circumcision and the keeping of the law in addition to trusting Jesus for salvation by faith. And then the early church defended the faith admirably according to Jude verse 3. They didn't look the other way. They didn't go along to get along. They were not diffident or ambivalent about the essentials of the faith. Oh, let's not rock the boat. They dealt with heresy head on. 
the early church faced 16 major heresies. Most of them dealt with the person of Jesus. And some dealt with the Holy Trinity and some with the Word of God. And the worst heresy of all that nearly destroyed the Christian faith was Arianism. From the name of Arius, who was a prominent preacher in Alexandria, Egypt, in 318, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was articulate. He was loquacious. He was persuasive. He was charismatic. He could grab people's attention, and he wrote songs as well over this one thing that he proffered proffered in, in that area. Jesus is below God, but above man. He is a created being. And of course, he pulled scriptures out of the New Testament, cherry-picking to build his doctrine. And leaders went to him privately, appealing to him. But he had gained a following by then. He wasn't having any of it. And the church in the Eastern Empire was split. He deceived many bishops because they didn't know the Word of God. It's no different today. There are church leaders that don't know the Word of God. Brian Houston, many years ago, the leader of the pastor of Hillsong Church, said that is, there's no difference between Islam and Christianity. That is a, that's a wretched abomination. Oh, with a lot of pressure, he was forced to recant that. That's like saying Jesus and the devil have something in common. And so he was prevailing and it was splitting the empire. And so the emperor Constantine called for a council to come together and settle the issue. It was called the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., there was a young deacon by the name of Athanasius who is a major hero of mine. There he is. Small in stature, mighty in spirit. And he brought in one word that settled it. The word is homoousios of the same essence. They were advocating homoousios of like essence. You think, well, what's the difference there? Well, there's a major difference. Because if Jesus is not God, then you're worshiping someone who's not God. And if he is not God, he doesn't have the power to save you either. And if he is not God, he is a liar because he said, I and the Father are one. John the Apostle is a liar because he said, in the beginning was the word, continuous, timeless existence, and the word was God, and the word was with God, continuous, timeless existence, and the word was God, continuous, timeless existence. The entire testimony of the New Testament is, is Jesus shares in the same deity as the Father and of the Holy Spirit. If he's not, he's a liar. If he's not, he can't save you from your sin. If he's not, he was an imposter. Athanasius understood this. He understood what was at stake and he won the day. But it cost him something. He eventually became the bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, Alexandria was one of the leading centers of Christianity in the world. But there were several Arian bishops after him that had it out for him. And he lost 20 years of ministry. On five different occasions, he was exiled to the desert. This man paid a price for standing for sound doctrine, for the guts of the faith, for the essentials of the faith. Otherwise, we are about ready to fall off the cliff into the oblivion of being Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, a completely false gospel and a completely different spirit. So we have that man to be thankful for. We are on the shoulders of giants who suffered martyrdom, who gave it all so we could just be casual about our faith? Not when Jesus spilled his precious blood for us, beloved. There's a takeaway here. 
It is to behold our faith. I'm telling you, our God is a behold God. Stand in awe of him. Let your jaw drop. Let your breath be taken away at our triune God. And more of the focus is on God the Son, God the incarnate Son as far as this message is concerned. Our faith is a behold faith. We should be behold people. And as I close, I'm going to give you just one practical way of that. Please don't miss it because it's very simple. I'm not sure if there's many spiritual disciplines in my life that yield greater joy and greater fruit than the spiritual discipline of gratitude, of thanksgiving. I thank God when things are going well, but man, let me tell you, when the bottom drops out and I'm licking the dust off the ground, I know that's when I really need to thank him. And I don't feel like thanking him sometimes. So you know what I do? Father, thank you for the shoes that I have. Father, thank you for the clothes that I have. Father, thank you for the car that I drive. How old is my car? 13 years old? I'm grateful for everything. It doesn't matter to me. Thank you that I live in this. I'm still the happiest man in the state of Virginia. I got to tell you, I'm so grateful God delivered me from. I'm not going to name the state. I still got friends back there. But they understand. Thank you for the home that I live in. Those are just the basic things. Then I step it up. And I start to thank him for this beautiful woman over here. And I could go on and on and on. I thank him that he gave her to me. She asked me to her Sadie Hawkins. I wasn't even interested. But one day changed that dramatically. She was pursuing me. Now I'm pursuing her. I got the better end of the deal, I think. But she's a mighty woman of God. So it's not just the years that we've been married, but it's the spiritual power of our marriage because of who she is. Then I thank him for my salvation. I've been saved since 1980-81. And I'm still in awe that he would save me. Where would I be had it not been for me still walking with the Lord? I have had many opportunities to walk away from him. But you alone, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? I thank him for his word. I thank him for his resurrection power. I thank him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thank him that he's a prayer-answering, covenant-keeping, miracle-working God. I thank him for his people. Where would I be without the church? At times I've been corrected and rebuked, and I needed it. Or the times I just got a word of encouragement, and I needed it. I'll take it all. Just don't gang up on me and and give me all kinds of reproof. (laughs) I, 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 I love to swim. Can't play basketball anymore because of lower back pain. But when the resurrection, there got to be an NBA in, in heaven. Anything that's that good on earth. And I'm just going to... Anyway, I'm getting a little silly here. Where was I? Oh, but I can swim. I can ride my bike. I like to swim outdoors when I can but I have to go all the way down to Princess Anne, YMCA, and I live in Deep Creek. No problem. I just go the back way, Mount Pleasant, and it's a wonderful drive because it's country, and I just use that for prayer time. Well, it was a week or two ago I was driving that way, and I just began to engage in thanking God. Just an innocent time. Forty minutes later, I get to the parking lot. I'm not done. There's so much more. And I didn't do all the talking. I just began to thank him and then just sat and marveled. Now, I thanked him for the same thing so many times, but, but almost every time he gives me a new vista, a new perspective, something I hadn't thought about before. And then 
Just as I'm swimming, I'm thanking him in my swimming. You see, the point is learning to practice the presence of God. Amen. Everything. And when we engage in that wonderful, life-giving, freeing discipline of thanksgiving, and I think just keep it simple, let the Holy Spirit show you what to thank him for, can't tell me how many times it's brought me out of depression, out of discouragement, out of a bad attitude, out of hopelessness, out of frustration, out of how long is this going to work? happen, Lord? How long? Like David, how long, O oh Lord? But he almost always ends this psalm with thanksgiving and praise. I've just learned this from the word of God. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Behold, God the Son, God the incarnate Son, who gave His life for you and is coming back for you. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness for us. We marvel at who you are pull the veil back cause us to fall in deeper love with you ruin us for the things of this world ignite our hearts to be on fire for you and let us say lord jesus you alone have the words of eternal life where else would i go and now loved ones may the god of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'll ask those who are going to be praying for people if you'll come forward now and if you need prayer, they'll be available to pray with you and for you out of a love for you. And now, beloved, remember who you are. As you walk out of these doors, be God's blessing to everyone you come into contact with. And may he grant you divine appointments. May he grant you his heart. May he open your eyes to see the needs. May he open your ears to hear the needs. May he open your mouth to give words of life, his words of life, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you next time.